Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 51 of the Build My Online podcast. I'm your host, Terry. And this week, I've got Chris Hexton from Vero. We're going to talk about cart abandonment emails. And so cart abandonment, in case you're new to the e-commerce world, is when someone basically adds a product to your cart and they don't check out. And so one way to get them to come back is to send a email follow-up sequence. Uh, that's, so that's what we're going to talk about this episode in terms of getting your campaign set up, uh, kind of what copy material to have in them, the timing, and the right mindset to approach when creating such a campaign. And so before we start, some news and updates. We have a new five-star iTunes review over from AJ Tap out in Canada. He says, Real Information Goldmine, this podcast is an amazing resource if you, like me, are trying to plan out an online business. Equal parts information and information, Build My Online Store covers the topics you need to know. For those of us who like to learn by listening to the stories of those who have been there, it is priceless awesome and so a book recommendation for this week is called choose yourself by james altucher so uh, james altucher is a blogger uh, that i follow he used to be a head fund manager he's also an entrepreneur and he recently came out with a book called choose yourself and i would say it's more of a mindset book uh, kind of he talks about how the tools and the new economy since the crisis have emerged so that individuals like us uh, can create businesses online and change the world without much help from a traditional industry more opportunities are kind of rising out of the ashes in this broken system and he's really talking about how you can choose yourself to succeed in this new world and I think a part that I really liked was when he talked about balancing your physical spiritual mental and emotional health if one aspect out of these four kind of planes is out of balance it can really throw your game off and so I found that really interesting in how he kind of goes through these routines every day uh, either through meditation uh, writing ideas down or just eating healthy uh, kind of to keep himself optimized so and then just think he will actually pay you to read this book or listen to it so uh, I believe if you send him a receipt of the purchase he will actually refund you or donate the proceeds to a charity so whether you decide to do this or not it's up to you but either way it's a book that I really enjoyed and so if you want the audio version you can go to build my online store.com slash audible and get it there for free with a 30-day trial uh, i believe and it's narrated by james himself which is awesome because it's not a boring monotone voice that most audiobooks are so he has a very conversational tone when he goes through the chapters and with that being said let's get into this week's episode So welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, who are you and what do you do? Hey, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me here, Terry. My name is Chris Hexton. I'm one of the two co-founders of Vero or you know, GetVero.com. Uh, it's uh, an email remarketing platform. So basically a tool that helps e-commerce stores and, and other online businesses track their customers' behavior and, and turn it into targeted emails. So I guess I, uh, I do a bit of bit of everything, bit of marketing, bit of development, a uh, bit of whatever needs to be done uh, in my day-to-day role. But that's Vero in a nutshell. And so why is uh, kind of email marketing card abandonment important? I mean, email marketing's always been important, right? You know, the uh, Direct Marketing Association of America last year, you know, put out numbers again that email is still the highest, you know, uh, return on investment channel. I think it's $40 for every $1 spent. So I don't think email's going away. Card abandonment or behavioral emails, uh, as we call them, seem to be becoming more and more popular. 
And I, I think it's important because, you know, the more direct or the more relevant each email you send is, so if the customer actually wants to receive it or it has some relevance to what they've recently done, the more likely they are to engage, which obviously leads to happier customers and ultimately you know, a better bottom line for the business that's sending the email. So I think that's why behavioral email is, uh, is becoming more and more important. Mm-hmm. So how would you define behavioral email for someone who just kind of heard this for the first time? Behavioral email in contrast with, say, newsletters or, or one-off emails you know, would be the two groups. And, and traditionally, you know, email marketing, where it started was where you've got a list of people, you're going to upload that, and then you're going to put together an email, and you're going to send it to everyone on that list. Behavioral email is saying, well, let's go a little deeper. Let's look at what customers are actually doing. So perhaps what products they're looking at, what products they're buying, you know, how much they've spent before. So looking at their actions, their behavior, and that's where the name comes from. And then sending emails based on that behavior. So you know, perhaps you send a different email to someone who's spent $500 with you before or you know, a particular email to someone who's looked at a pair of jeans three times but hasn't, hasn't purchased that pair of jeans yet. So yeah, I think that's the real difference. So fundamentally, it's like, say, if someone joins your newsletter versus someone that added something to the cart and then went away versus someone that's bought a product for you, you're sending different emails based off of these different behaviors, right? That's what I'm getting at. Spot on, exactly. I see, I see. And, so, and so where does the cart abandonment email come in? Because I've heard, you know, the standard cart abandonment is like, what, 60, 70% or higher. So, you know, how does this email help with that rate or kind of what does it do? Yeah, I think cart abandonment is, um, a fa- you know, it's a fantastic example of the bread and butter of behavioral email. So as you said a minute ago, you know, this is targeting people who add something to the cart, begin the checkout process, and then don't complete the process. And you're just sending a, a follow-up or a series of follow-up emails. And it's uh, a fantastic email because it works. It makes sense that it works. People abandon their carts for all sorts of reasons. It's not, it's not primarily not because they don't want your product. It could be because they're at work, you know, browsing around your site and then the boss comes by. Could be because they're at home and their kid needs something and they just forget to come back to the computer. You know, it, it could be any of these reasons. So, by sending a follow-up email, if you're the company that does that and your competitors don't, it uh, it puts you ahead. And um, it's a great example of a behavioral email because it's just got a, a massive return on investment. You know, and it's permanent as well. Mm-hmm. So, to get the customer's email when they cart abandon, do you need to like they can you create a user or like? What stage you usually get the email at? Yeah, so it depends on different stores, and, and that's something that needs to be factored into your whole A/B testing strategy. But you know, most stores that we work with or that I see, you know, either require a sign up or a login, um, and it's you know, it's part of the the terms of that sign up that they get the email, um, or it's, it's just baked into the the checkout flow, um, and and is when they request the email up front as part of the sort of you know first name, last name, email, etc. Um, they you know they have a tick box for permission for email marketing. In, the, in that section. So it's definitely something you have to do in the early stages of the checkout process if you would like to email them. Um, although you can also, obviously, if the customer comes back a second time, you know, tools are pretty sophisticated now and they can use cookies, et cetera, to, uh, to track you know, customers' behavior after they check out with you once and, and come back. So the main approach is definitely a login or asking you know, explicitly for the email upfront. Yeah, I guess fundamentally, once you do order, you need to send the receipt somewhere, right? I mean, you can't just have it on your screen too. Exactly right. So you know, m- most businesses, it's already part of the flow, and it's just a matter of optimizing. If you've decided to go after the card abandonment emails, perhaps optimizing to get more emails, experimenting whether it's better to to get the email earlier uh, or be more direct about it. You know, does that detract from the overall conversions on the cart? But then the card abandonment emails work really well. I mean, you can get quite sophisticated, but uh, as you said, most people are already collecting the email somewhere in that process. Yeah, because I think if you're forcing someone to sign up, there's kind of like more friction. Whereas if you just say, hey, you know, when you order, where do we send the receipt? It's kind of a more, it makes more sense, right, I guess, to get the email that way. 
Uh, look, absolutely, absolutely. And there's uh, you know truckloads of, of uh, different ways you can go about optimizing the cart flow itself. So I totally agree with that. You know, each business has kind of their own persona. So you know, how would you tailor the copy and the follow up email? Like, what would you even write? Because you don't want to just say, hey, you know, you check out. You forgot to check out. Like, you want to make it like kind of like a soft push. Right? Exactly. I you know I think one of the aversions that people have to cart abandonment emails is that. You know, all the people say to me, potential you know customers and users as well. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to do it because I'm just going to have to give everyone a discount. You know, they're worried about having to, to send a discount to everyone who abandons checkout. And what I, from what I've actually seen, that it's definitely not the approach you should use. The best approach I've, I've ever really seen, and it seems to be at work time and again, so it's very consistent, is to send three, you know, at least two, so two to three emails in a series, and you know, leave the discount to the very end of that series, which might be you know four or five days after they actually abandon the checkout, but. Early on in the piece, as you said, you kind of you, you. I think you just want to be helpful. That's that's what works time and again, and you've got to flavor that to your business. So, you know, different variations of either you know how can we help? Did something go wrong? Um, you know, I've seen some witty ones around what you just said, which is you know, did you forget what's in your card or like, hey, we've missed you or um, things like that. I've seen variations where people write, you know. Did you know we've we've kept these products aside for you just in case you still want to buy them? So you know, trying to make it look like they're doing you a favor. There's a few different approaches you can take, and and I think you just have to test different approaches and and do what feels right for the voice of your business. Which you know, as a marketer, you probably have a, a reasonably good idea of, of what that will be. Yeah. So when you said you send three emails, it really drives down to kind of like the old school direct response sequencing, right? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, sequencing is powerful. I mean, people. Um, People read their emails at all different times of the day. You can change the messaging in the three different emails, so it gives you, you know, I guess, more opportunities to play with the copy. You know, you can put a discount in that third email if it's worth it to your business to do that. It gives you more, more chances to convert the customer ultimately, and it, it does work. Yeah. So let's go into a little bit deeper about that, like the psychology of sequencing. Like, why why does it work so well? I think there's probably a bunch of reasons, and it could be something as simple as the person was rushing to work when they got the first email, and they're on the train, and they had 30 unread emails, you know, or they're just sitting down at the start of the day, and they, you know, just skim past your email, whereas the second email in the series, perhaps that catches them um, later in the day, you know, at 2 p.m. or 1, 1.30 p.m. or, you know, whenever you schedule it, and, and, and so even just testing timing like that, it it might give you the opportunity to grab their attention just because they're not doing so much at the time. It could be more sophisticated where, you know, like I said a minute ago, perhaps they don't respond to the copy you've got in that first email, uh, but they do respond in the second one. Or it could come down to the kind of, you know, traditional you hear, people have to see your brand seven times before they purchase. It could even just be a matter of, uh, of seeing that name in the inbox three times that, that ultimately leads them to make the decision to, to finalize the purchase with you as opposed to other companies they might have been browsing around. So you know, I think there's a Myriad, a myriad of uh, psychological reasons behind it and practical. I think if you just take an example, like say you go to like a 7-Eleven, you know, you go there at 9 o'clock, you know, you buy it with the guy and then you go in at 11, then you go in at 2 o'clock. Like by the third time you see the same cashier, you know, like if you just talk to him, you'd be like, oh, hey, what are you doing? It's like, kind of like he knows you already, whereas it's kind of like if you just went in once, he won't care who you are. Exactly right. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a really nice, a really nice real world example. Yeah. Because I realized that, you know, sometimes when I was younger, when I'm working like in an office building and, you know, you see like the security guard in the morning and then maybe you go to lunch, you see him again. And by the time, like, you know, two weeks on the job, you kind of already know the guy and he doesn't really ask for your security card or 
kind of anything too. <laughs> it's kind of just it happens, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I guess that's what you're trying to imitate with the emails. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And so what's the right mindset to take when writing these emails? Because I think a lot of people are afraid that, you know, I don't want to bug people by sending them this email. They might think I'm spamming them or kind of what have you seen to work really well? Yeah, I think that's, that's why I always say, you know, start out with being helpful, especially in those first, especially in that first email, you know, and, and the first two emails, if you're doing three, I think people, first of all, always assume that they're just spamming or that people are going to respond and say, oh, this is spam. First, you know, you, you don't know that till you try, uh, being the very first thing. And secondly, it's generally not true. So if you are actually trying to be helpful, and, and as I said before, if you think back to the reasons people might have uh, abandoned the checkout process, you know, it's not always, and, and most of the time it's not because they said, oh, I hate these products or I hate this store, I don't want to shop here. It's usually because something else has come up and they've gotten distracted you know, you know, during the checkout process. So by reminding them, you're not actually you know, necessarily annoying them because they probably still want to purchase the goods you know, and just got distracted or, or didn't get a chance to come back. So you know, I think that's the first thing to remember. And then the second aspect of it is, yeah, by being helpful, you should be trying to send an email with a tone, with a message that you wouldn't mind receiving yourself. And I, and I always suggest people you know, kind of be lighthearted or, or be yourself, you know, be perhaps be like you'd be talking to that guy at the 7-Eleven, you know, don't, don't freak out about having the perfect copy um, that's going to drive, you know, the perfect conversions out of the gate. Just uh, write what feels natural to you and, and, and to the voice of your business and it generally works out pretty well. Yeah, so when you say be helpful, like let's think of an example. Like if I'm selling, I don't know, like basketball shoes and then someone abandons my cart, like where do I even start to be helpful with them? Kind of what would, you, what would your, your approach be? Yeah, I mean that's. Oh, well, I don't have a. I'd have to think about it if I wanted to be witty about you know basketball shoes or basketball in itself. But um, you know, as you said, rather than just saying like, oh hey, you forgot these items are here, check out now. You know, I, the the first email in the series that I usually recommend is along the lines of, hey, we saw you didn't get a chance to complete checkout. Or, yeah, probably not even wording it like that because I, I always find that's you know people realize you weren't watching them. You know, <laughs> you know, complete checkout. But saying, you know, is there anything we can do? Did you have issues completing the forms? Were there technical issues? And I know it sounds really lame, but you know that sort of offer of a couple of lines in an email, really basic, saying did something go wrong, giving a personal, uh, ideally from a, an individual, so giving them a personal contact point, like you can get in touch with me. You know, my name's Dave. I'm customer service at Zappos or whatever. Uh, call this number or or email me back. You know, that that sort of personal thing works really well. Uh, from what I've seen in in the first email. Yeah, so would it make sense to actually in that email include some deal with some objections from the sale? It, it can. It, it definitely depends on what you're selling and, and I guess how many products you carry and stuff. But if you can nail it down to a couple of questions, uh, question and answer format can be really good as well. Um, one of our customers, Flight Fox, they're not a store, but they're a travel a travel site, and and they have Carter Benjamin emails as well. In their case, that is exactly the first email they send. It's, hi, can we help? Did you have any issues? Here are the three sort of things that people run into when using flightfox.com. And then they address each of those in a single sentence sort of thing. And that, e- that email's killer. So um, that's a great suggestion as well. Yeah, because remember, I'm looking at this email right now because I remember I told you before the call, like I just use Flightfox one just for like, you know, shits and giggles, and then suddenly I get these emails, and I'm like, oh, wow, these emails are pretty cool. And <laughs> So basically, you know, just to go through this email in more detail, like I think the first one is like a three-part Q&A, right? They say basically, uh, Firefox is basically like, I think you bid for a trip. You say, hey, I want to go from you know Sydney to LA, and then these travel agents bid for your 
or they create a plan for you and then you pay whoever wins, kind of like a crowdsourcing game. Exactly right. Yeah, and, and so in the email, you know, one of the questions is, like, well, why on earth would you pay for flight service? And then they go into more detail and then they have another question that says, hey, you know, what if our experts don't beat the price you've already found? And then three, uh, can't find the best flight yourself? Kind of these three biggest things that people probably say, you know, why... I wouldn't pay for this. And they kind of addressed this right away in the first email, which I thought was like, wow, this is kind of what was on my mind too for a second. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they took those questions straight out of their sort of support desk. You know, one of the most common questions we received via email yeah, and on the phone. And uh, that's exactly how they came up with that question answer format. So it's, you know, it's not rocket science. I'm, sh- I'm sure all businesses already have that kind of store of, you know, the three, what are the three most common complaints you could dig it up in your help desk or whatever and, and turn that into an email. And, you know, that email... Is great as well because it does what I said before, where you know it's from Lauren, who's one of the founders, and it's very personal. Hey, you know, write back if you need anything, etc. So yeah, I think it really ticks all the boxes. Yeah, and when it comes from your support desk, it narrows down their workload too, right? Basically, because since they're it's automated this process almost for them in some way. Absolutely, you know, I mean, it's, you, I guess with these this sort of automation, you're always trying to make your business as efficient as possible. So you have to bear that in mind. What's their third email? Do they, do they send three or two? I'm looking at my inbox and I only have two. I'm actually pretty sure they only send two at the moment, but uh, I'm not 100% sure because I know that they, they're pretty good testers and they change things around. And you know, I'm sure, I think they've probably they've definitely sent three in the past, but if you've only received two, then that must be what they're doing now. Yeah, like it seems when I first used it, they sent it like within one or two weeks and then another time it was like probably like two weeks before the actual trip and then they asked hey are you flying soon and then they, hey I noticed you visited Firefox a few weeks ago but you didn't launch a contest blah 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 and it kind of goes on again which I guess the timing they've tested well too right that it's the optimal point that you say hey right after they abandoned and kind of right before the trip too to see if they actually ended up going or kind of they didn't you know finish their bookings and all that stuff exactly I mean the, you know that's the cool thing about behavioral emails you can kind of go kind of go beyond and uh you know, they started with the with the one you were reading out with the questions and answers, and then you know they added the second one, and then they thought, well, what can we do around the actual trip date, and you know, how can we follow up and get people to come back? So, you know, trying to follow through full circle on that that customer lifecycle to get people uh, coming back and and referring friends and and continuing to use the product. Yeah. So, who else do you see kind of among your client base that is doing like behavioral email really well too? That's a really good question. I mean, we've got lots of great companies. Uh, there's a company called ShoesOfPrey.com. Um, they're an Australian company. They do they do an excellent job, and they're, you know they're just a, a great example of a, an online retailer uh, who's kind of pushing the boundaries. They do custom women's shoes, so you can go and design, you know, pick and choose colors and fabrics and uh, shoe models and things. I don't actually know exactly the formula they're using for their emails, but um, I know that uh, well, if you were to go there and check out, you could see. But they you know they're, they're doing a fantastic job and. Um, I do know, you know, I just like the the templating they use. Again, they've got a, a fun sense of humor in, in all of the emails that they send out, uh, bright colors, you know, trying to be helpful, trying to be friendly, trying to build this sense of community around having, you know, your own custom shoes. So I really like their their brand and, their, and, and the sorts of emails they're sending. Yeah, it's very interesting. You can customize everything, kind of like everything on the shoes. It's really interesting. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. They're actually amazing shoes. Like when you see them in the flesh, they look uh, really, really professional. So... It's a, it's a really really fast-growing business and just an awesome awesome team of guys. Yeah, awesome. All right. And so what are some common mistakes that people make when they just get into behavioral email? I guess the, mo- the most kind of common things are one, uh, or one is, seems to be hesitation to get into it or hesitation to, 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 to push the button and to go. And, and that generally is because people are you know, concerned either about or are people going to be annoyed by what I'm sending, which you touched on already. 
Um, but even more commonly than that, it seems to be, you know, did I get the co copy exactly right? You know, is this email actually going to convert? You know, worrying about the really minute details when what I found is, you know, it's, uh, you need to walk before you run sort of thing. So you, you've just got to start somewhere, you know, try and pick an email that you, you've perhaps heard about or like card abandonment or something where it's low-hanging fruit. Start with that campaign and go from there. In terms of mistakes or other mistakes, not working on the emails over time, the great thing about behavioral email is that once you kind of figure out a pretty solid setup, you know, for a card abandonment email, for example, you can leave that running. But, you know, you've kind of got to experiment a bit to find what, what works for you. So being open to trying new ideas is, is an important part of behavioral email as well. And so what is like kind of a sample size you've seen that needs to be you know, like the minimum sample size to split test this and to get like an actual meaningful result? Well, I think the, the thing with, with split testing anything is uh, it's, it's more the time that it takes. You know, for most tests, you want to you would generally want to run a couple of hundred people through it. You know, that, that can be quite a number and it obviously depends what, how, you know, how big you are as to how fast you can achieve that goal. And there's obviously, you know, you should always use the you know, mathematical formulas to work out when your uh, test becomes statistically relevant based on your conversion rates and, and the population, etc. But it's, uh, it's generally, you know, sort of a time trade-off. When you split test these kind of email follow-ups, you know, what's the framework you usually take with your clients? Yeah, I think the, the thing we always say is focus on conversions. You know, the beautiful thing about behavioral emails is driven by action. So if you're tracking these actions to send the emails in the first place, you know, you can also be tracking completed checkout, you know, how much they spent. Or, you know, in the case of Flightfox, they can um, track when people actually come back and complete the booking, etc. So you should focus not just on opens and clicks, which are obviously important to helping you to help you identify where, you know, where you can improve quickly. Like, is it the subject line? Is it the body? Is it the call to action? Whatever. But the actual conversions is what you should be testing around. So that's the first sort of thing in the framework. Focus on the outcome. And, you know, does variation A drive more people to actually do the outcome at a higher value than variation B? And I guess the other aspect to it is is just trying to be solid and, and you know, like all A/B testing, you know, if you're going to do multivariate testing, be aware that you're testing multiple things at once, or keep it simple and you know just start by the open rate on on this email is not great. Let's try variation and get the open rate up, and then once you've got that up, say, okay, well, how can we get the click rate higher? You know, focus on on something discrete. Um, to make your A/B test really clear. I see. So we should look at the kind of open rates. Click, if, like, what's a good open rate? That's a really good question. Totally depends on the business, etc. Um, industry average open rates for newsletters, like one-off emails, like or like I said, industry average. Just the global average is, I believe, around twenty percent or just under. And that, that's from Mailchimp. You know, doing analysis of their billions of emails. So transactional mail, by contrast, is fifty percent, and then open rates. You know. We generally see our customers seeing somewhere between 20 and 50%. So some people are behavioral, sending behavioral campaigns with like a 40, 42% open, open rate where, you know, perhaps in card abandonment is probably, probably lower than that, you know, around the sort of 30, 30, 35% mark on average. It's generally a nice bump above the, the traditional newsletter email open right. rate. So you're also able to test uh, whether which email has the most conversions, right? Whether it's the first one, second one, or third one, and then tweak from there too also. Right? Absolutely, absolutely right. Um, and and I think the conversions aspect is just super powerful. Like, I love it. Yeah, so I guess like, if you could say like, it's a scenario where you're sending three emails, but everyone's buying on the second email, you really don't need the third one, I guess, too, right? Exactly. I mean, I think if it's not proving overly useful, you know, the thing that I would then also look at is the unsubscribe rate. You know, are you getting people unsubscribing on that third one? And if no one's buying from it, then it would be logical to take it out of the loop. 
And, and definitely, you know, more email is not always the answer. So if, if, it's, if it's a useless email, you may as well take it out of the loop and send them something else a couple of weeks later that will get them to, to do some other relevant action like share or come back uh, to the website, etc. What if we move into, say, like people that have already bought from you and you're looking to send emails to them to get them back again? I mean, the approach would be a lot different, right, than to say an abandoning email. Definitely. And, uh, you know, there's a few different campaigns I see work well here. Um, a really common one I would call product replenishment emails, and this isn't going to work for every store. You know, let's say uh, you're a wine store, and I bought um, six bottles of wine, you know, red wine, from you. you know, a cool campaign that you could send might be, you know, three months later, or or you know, four months later, or whatever. Say, hey, you've probably finished your case of wine by now. You know, here's you know, here's an offer on the same case, or hey, we've still got the same case in stock, or here's another you know case of wine from the same. Same vineyard or what, what you know, whatever. That that sort of email works really well because it's very direct, and you you kind of know that the person is probably predisposed to what they've previously purchased. Or you can get more creative. So like the the Firefox one you were talking about before is cool. You know, in their case, they know when you've taken a trip because you've booked a flight through them and you've got the dates. So you know, following up after that trip, you know, whether it's I'm not sure what they do exactly, but you know, a couple of months after would probably be logical and saying, well, how was your trip? You know, thinking of going on another holiday, why not check out Firefox? That sort of thing. That's a really cool way to bring people back, you know. And I guess you have to kind of shape that to uh, whatever it is, whatever it is you're selling. But I, you know, I really like their example there as well. Yeah, it's kind of like predicting what the customer will think, and then just sticking yourself kind of in that stream, right? There's a stream of thought, and then suddenly it becomes very natural. Exactly. I mean, I think that should be the aim to make it as natural as possible. Yeah, because I think a lot of the times you'd have to put yourself in your customer's shoes before you even write these emails too. Right? You kind of have to think like logically what do they do throughout the whole buying cycle and then you figure out where do I stick myself in. Exactly. I mean, and it's definitely not an easy thing to do to put yourself in your customer's shoe, shoes, I don't think. You know, the, you know, the I guess once you start though, the, the further along the path you go, the easier it gets or the more information you gather. Um, but it, it definitely can be tricky, I, I think, to, uh, to, to nail that. Yeah, I think it's like the fundamental business thing everyone says, right? Like know your ideal customer and the more you know them, the more this stuff kind of comes naturally as you go along too. Exactly. So. It's a constant uh, cycle of learning. And so is there any you know, last words of wisdom regarding kind of email marketing that people should really be aware of before we let you go? Someone asked me yesterday like what my favorite email quotes are and I guess the thing I always come back to is and I can't remember the kind of quotes we discussed, but it was all around you know building trust, and and I think we just finished nicely with what we're talking about there. You know, I think no matter what sort of email marketing you're doing, whether you're sending a newsletter once a week, whether you're putting together these card abandonment campaigns, you you should try and put yourself in your customers' shoes and think, well, how could I engender trust? Like, how can I build trust in this relationship? And you know, I suppose that's a very like esoteric thing to say, but if you're thinking about, well, how can I build a relationship with my customer and and build trust? Then that should lead you down the path of a path of writing quality emails that aren't just trying to get the sale. You know, like an email that's just like, "Hey, bam, you know, give me money." is is certainly not the sort of thing that builds trust. So, you know, sharing, offering help, um, educating—they're all great ways to build trust. And and I, and I think that should always be on the top of your mind when you're uh, putting together email marketing campaigns. Yeah, awesome. And so, tell us about uh, Vero real quick. Yeah, sure. So, uh, as I said at the start, it's uh, a SaaS product designed to make this stuff easier for e-commerce stores um, or, or other businesses. You know, travel, gaming, software as a service companies basically works. On one end, you put some JavaScript on your website, track what your customers are doing. So you say, well, these events are important to my business, very much like Mixpanel or Kiss Metrics or Google Analytics. You, you track these discrete events, and then that gets sent to Vero in real time. And 
Uh, you can log into Vero and create campaigns visually, you know, visually saying, I want to target people who have done X but not Y or send this email four days after someone does blah. You know, that's all, all done and, and, and we, the software guides you through it. So it's, uh, it's much easier to, to manage the creation process. And then obviously it, you can also A-B test and it gives you the results, uh, including this conversion tracking um, which is the, the the output, which is really powerful. Awesome, very cool, very cool. And so do you guys work with pretty much every shopping cart, I'm assuming? Yeah, so we, we obviously don't have plugins for every single one, but the JavaScript's completely you know platform agnostic, and we've got people on all sorts of different um, shopping cart platforms. So if it's not plug and play, then you know there's there's a way, and we're more than you know support teams more than happy to help you through it specifically. Um, but you know it's easy to get set up. It's just copy paste sort of stuff like Google Analytics which is awesome. Awesome. And so where can we find you online? Getvero.com, G-E-T-V-E-R-O.com. Head there. There's a free trial, uh, all the usual good stuff. And if you've got any questions, you should definitely get in touch with me directly. I love hearing from people. And even if you just want to discuss like some ideas uh, or for campaigns or copy or whatever, it's my pleasure. And my email is chris at getvero.com. Awesome. All right, Chris. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And we'll keep in touch. Not at all. Thanks very much for having me, Terry. Awesome. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast.